It is with a sense of great excitement that we each can come together today. For some who have been somewhat sick or ill are sufficiently blessed to be able to be back with us. And for others who haven't been sick to nonetheless come together with all others who have like precious faith, 2 Peter 1 verse 1, and have an interesting capability of praising the great God of heaven. As the year 2006 rolls rapidly to its conclusion, maybe we each can reflect a bit upon how greatly and grandly God has blessed us in this calendar year, and to look forward to the year 2007 that with the blessing of God of another week will then be reality. But for this morning, as we celebrate, if you will, the greatness of God's goodness on this first day of the week, may we think just a bit about a lesson entitled, Gifts from the Lord. I have selected that title based in large part on the reading that we just heard in our hearing a moment ago. It is to that very chapter I would again turn, ask you to turn with me as we think about some gifts that we've each been blessed with and the way that we could well approach those very same gifts as given by God. To do that, let us then discuss by way of introduction, perhaps what not is at all surprising today. For tonight, there are so many young faces that will have faces all aglow and thoughts so excited, in fact, so much so that it may be difficult to get them to sleep. But as we think about what lay ahead tonight and tomorrow, gift-giving is something that, in fact, not only can be a happy occasion for the young, but even for us who are not quite so young, we may still enjoy that tremendously. We may still look forward to that quite a bit. But as we think about the gifts, of course, may we well understand the greatest no doubt of all stated by Paul himself in 2 Corinthians 9. In the last verse of that chapter, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift, the greatness of the gift of Jesus for you and me, the reality of his coming and all what he gained for us at the occasion of his death. But what's more, I thought today, this morning, we might have an interesting occasion to reflect during the lifetime of Jesus some of the gifts that he bestowed physically upon a very interesting man named Jairus. As Brother Eddie read that a moment ago, we learned the interesting episode of that time when this man came to Jesus and made a great request of him. Did Jesus grant the request? And if so, what are some lessons that you and I might extract and utilize in our daily walk of life? As we look at that then, please consider the following sequence of events with me. Let us begin by rehearsing, in a somewhat brief way, the character of the request and how the Lord responded to it. This is recorded in three of the Gospel accounts. We find it not only in Matthew and Luke, but also in the text we read in Mark. Isn't it amazing that here we read of this ruler of the Jews, a man whose name was Jairus, he came, and in fact, in a very humble and yet devoted way, he came before the Savior and fell prostrate before him. The text says he fell at Jesus' feet. As Jairus fell at the feet of Jesus, he came beseeching him, requesting that, in fact, he would grant the very thing that Jairus wished. And the thing that Jairus wished was not for money, nor was it for a larger house, nor greater pomp or circumstance in his capability of ruler of the Jews. That which rested upon his mind was the condition of his little girl. He had a daughter. Her name is not given to us in the Holy Scriptures. We know that this girl was about 12 years old and that she was lying at the point of death. She was very sick. 
Jairus knew it. And he came perhaps as his last resort unto the very one whom he trusted who could do something about it. Though we are not given the details of it, it could well be Jairus sought aid from medical individuals. It could be he had sought aid from every source of which he had easy access. Jesus was in the neighborhood. He came to Jesus. He came begging him, earnestly beseeching him that he would come and lay his hands on his little girl for she was at the point of death. As Jairus made this request of Jesus, Notice with me some of the things that are easy to see. First of all, Jairus was presented in his own life with a source of tragedy. Any parent would well understand the grief and anguish of mind that he must have been feeling. But not only that, as he made this request of Jesus, he nonetheless had a source of hope. For he wished for Jesus, and he trusted that Jesus could do something about it. Did you notice the language of verse 23? Notice with me again the confidence that Jairus expressed in the Lord. And besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. What three strong words, she shall live. What hope filled his heart, recognizing what he knew Jesus could do. At this point, notice in verse 24, the statement is a very simple one. It simply notes Jesus went with him. The Lord did not turn him away. The Lord did not reject his request. In fact, it says Jesus went with him. That very thought alone is an interesting one, but it is quickly couched in a scene of perhaps great anxiety. Because notice in verse 25, Jesus did not immediately arrive at Jairus' house. He was detained along the way. Do you recall that this was the very scene in which the Lord was thronged by a great multitude of people? And in fact, out of that multitude, a woman touched the very hem of the Lord's garment and Jesus perceived power had gone out of him. And as such, Jesus turned and said, Who touched me? The apostles and the other disciples were somewhat shocked that he would even ask such a thing, given the largeness of that multitude. However, Jesus knew it. And when he asked that woman who had been possessed or in fact afflicted with an issue of blood twelve years, she confessed to the Lord. And Jesus then responded to her daughter, Be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole. But at this point, remember, Jairus must have been standing nearby. His little girl was at the point of death. Jesus, let's hurry. I don't have time to wait, and neither does she. Do you wonder how often perhaps Jairus had wished, Jesus, can't this go a little faster? We need to get to my house, and we need to get there at once. But all the while, Jesus had time to deal with the hurting. He had time to address the concerns of this woman who had the issue of blood. He had the earnestness and compassion with which he responded to her and in fact healed her as well. All the while, though, Jairus apparently patiently waited nearby, but nonetheless no doubt anxious for the time when the journey could be completed and to arrive at his house. And finally, as we read a moment ago in verse number 35, after healing the woman of the issue of blood, the journey again proceeds. However, Notice that while Jesus was yet speaking, while yet finishing or concluding his discussion with the woman that had the issue of blood, 
news came. An emissary, an ambassador, members of his household came and at this point delivered to him the news he most certainly, above all else, wished that he would not have heard. Why trouble the master any longer? Your daughter is dead. As he had besought the aid of Jesus, as he had earnestly tried to gain Jesus' attention, and Jesus had agreed to come and now only to learn that she was now dead. At this point, notice again verse 36. While this news was delivered to Jairus, and perhaps we can each imagine what the expression on his face must have been. His head drooped in despair. Tears flowed from his eyes in sadness and grief over the loss of this precious daughter of his. The text says, As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, Jairus didn't get the first word in, Jesus did. He saith unto Jairus, unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Perhaps Jesus understood no doubt the feelings of his heart, for the Lord knew what was in the heart of man, John 2.25. The Lord knew that which constituted the very affairs of men. He is the searcher of the heart, Acts 1.24. Could we not then appreciate that Jesus said, Be not afraid, Jairus, only believe. At that point, verse 37, they arrived then at the house of Jairus. And at the time of that arrival... May we appreciate that what took place was again that which was a great source of interest to you and me, but on that day and occasion a great source of strength and power to Jairus. For when they arrived, we remember that there was great crying and weeping and wailing. She was loved, of course. As Jairus, together with Jesus, returned, we noticed, though, that something else occurred. Jesus had another expression, another statement. Read again with me in verse number 39. Why make ye this ado? And weep, the damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And in response to that, they laughed Jesus to scorn. They thought this man doesn't know what he's talking about. This man is not informed. They laughed Jesus to scorn, reviled him, mocked him, if you will. And all the while, though, in verse number 40, we notice that Jesus simply ordered or gave instruction that all were to leave the room except, of course, the corpse or the little girl, as well as her parents, as well as Jesus and three of the apostles, Peter, James, and John. And at that very point, we notice in verse 41, Jesus took her by the hand and made a statement in Aramaic that reads as follows, Talitha cumi. And Mark, in his interesting and impressive way, interprets that Aramaic for us. We in English know what it means. Verse number 41 and 42, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. At that point, can you imagine the look on the face of her parents? As Jesus made that statement, and then in verse 42, straightway the damsel arose. It wasn't tomorrow. It wasn't next year. Immediately she arose from the dead. The Lord restored to her that spirit in her life, returned unto her. And as such, oh, what a gift those two parents received. Oh, what a gift that family received. For in that reception, this one whom they had given for dead had been blessed with life yet again. This 12-year-old girl able again to pursue and proceed with her life as it was given back to her by none other than Jesus. 
as we recognize this physical gift then that was given to her and given to that father, what might be some observations that would be fruitful for you and me to reflect upon, things that we also could appreciate about it? Might I submit to you that we might well start where the episode starts, back in verse 22. As Jairus came, you see, to Jesus, Jairus was involving himself and knew very well from experience that he, as well as his family, was dealing with a tragedy in life. Maybe at this point you and I can know that Jesus, it seemed, always had an earnest ear for the hurting. You and I too well know that these tragedies, disappointments, do come to us as, as well. We each know what it's like to have been sick. Maybe we've all known that for the last ten days or so, haven't we? We've seen it in our family. We know what illness of health is like. But what's more, even that isn't the end of the road. For we are called upon sometimes to face even more serious diseases. And sometimes even the face of death itself. All the while we can take recognition of the fact that within the sacred word of God, that is the human lot. As we turn back the clock now, well over 4,000 years, do we not remember that in the days of Job, he himself faced that? Though a righteous man, the text informs us, Job 1, verses 1 to 5, he was the greatest of all the men in the East in terms of righteousness and piety. And yet upon him, he lost his possessions, he even lost his health, he even lost his children. To see then the recognition of what anxiety and disappointment and even tragedy and catastrophe may come our way, we should remember that God has never, ever promised a luxurious life in a bed of roses upon this earth for you and me. We may often desire that, and we may in fact desire that time of ease, but we must ever remember that our life here is never promised to be that which is fully of the very case of luxuriousness, that which is of ease. Notice some of these passages found within the Word of God that touch that subject. In Ecclesiastes 4, beginning in verse 1, that great preacher, that wise preacher of old, who at that time, of course, was Solomon, we understand that in those opening verses he pronounced the oppression that the human family experiences, and there are no exceptions we understand in life that it besets us on every side. And even when the time of death approaches, quite often many still understand that for them they have no hope. The thought then is that this oppression seems to hover about us so very greatly. Didn't Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount say in Matthew 5.45 that the sun shines on the good as well as the bad and the rain also comes to the just and unjust alike? You see, the rain may well not occur, occur then in terms of drought or famine. And we can appreciate that difficulty and hardship is that which is for you and me to appreciate. In Matthew 6.34, the very last verse of that chapter, Jesus there in response and in continuation of the promise of verse 33, He said, But therefore give no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We need not concern ourselves with the lack of evil tomorrow. There will be plenty to go around. There will be plenty of hardship tomorrow to go around. 
this scene of the ancient days of Jairus helps us remember that that is a part of life upon this earth. But before we lose any hope, notice the second point with me, please. The Lord, the great God of heaven, through His Son, the Lord, offers, in fact, those means by which there's hope, the means to deal with these disappointments. To consider that very thought for a moment, what great hope that gives all of us. We aren't left alone. Return with me and notice. When Jairus beseeched Jesus to go with him, he went. The Lord didn't send him off to go by himself. And he doesn't send you and me to go by ourselves either. You see, his hand is with us. As long as we faithfully walk with him, he has promised to be there every step of the way. Do we not read in Hebrews 13, verse 5, that very powerful passage, I will never fail thee nor forsake thee. That word never is one of the strongest words in terms of adverbs in the English language, isn't it? Never means not once, not on any occasion, not on any circumstance. I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. But that's only one text of a host of others. Jesus, in the very last verse of the book of Matthew, to those apostles, what did he say? I'll be with you always, even unto the end of the world. Time and again, we note God's precious promise to all of us that through thick or through thin, he will be there as a sustaining and guiding aid. In Psalm 37, verse 25, I have been young and I am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Psalm 55, verse 22, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. We can see the earnest and excitement with which we can fill our heart at the thought that though these difficulties may arise, you and I have access to a power through which they can be overcome and by which they can be triumphed over. That should bring to our hearts the greatest sense of excitement, For you and I are not left alone on this earth. We have a constant companion, a friend that sticks closer than a brother, as stated by the Proverbs writer in the days long past. All of these thoughts help us appreciate that as we reflect upon this goodness and God's presence, there's still something else to be noted. For consider yet a third observation. This genuine hope, And notice I use the word genuine carefully. This genuine hope only comes by virtue of the Savior. Again, to whom was it that Jairus approached? He came to Jesus. And he understood that through Jesus, my little girl shall live. She shall be made whole with the laying on of your hands. There is not the slightest doubt cast in the mind of Jairus. He knew genuine hope was found in Jesus. Today... Isn't it odd that men in their supposed wisdom and in their supposed smartness can go to all kinds of places in search for that which can never be found in any place other than Jesus? Isn't that ironic? Genuine hope is only found through the Savior. Oh, it's true that men may find interesting things to play with through life, things to satisfy the physical character of the flesh, But in the final analysis, does it offer any genuine hope really? Notice some texts with me that challenge us on that point. In Colossians 1.27, near the close of that opening chapter in the Colossian letter, Paul said, Christ in you the hope of glory. 
Where then, Paul, is the hope of glory to be found? It is only through Jesus. And perhaps more expansively, in that text in 1 Peter 1, perhaps many of us have often reflected upon the nature of it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance undefiled and reserved in heaven for you. That inheritance that's incorruptible, that inheritance that's undefiled, that inheritance that's reserved in heaven for you. In what way was that described? A lively hope. It's not a dead hope. It's not a trivial hope. It's not a hope without meaning. That word lively means living. It means full of power and life. It means a hope that permeates the very character of life and flesh and buoys itself upward to the reality of that eternal home and glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. When Jairus came to Jesus and beseeched him on behalf of his little girl, Jesus not only went with him, but offered to him the greatest hope at the time that he needed, the hope that his girl might be saved and that she might not die. His love for her wished so much for her not to decease at that time. But yet a fourth lesson and one that you and I sometimes struggle with greatly. Patience. Remember that on that way to his household, remember that while on the way to fulfilling the desire of Jairus, Jesus was detained, or so it was thought in the mind of Jairus, no doubt. She was detained. He needed to get to the house to aid her, but yet he healed another woman instead. God doesn't dump all of his blessings on us at one time. We need to be patient. We need to pray earnestly for those things and to understand that as His faithful children, God will do His will. And he, in fact, told ancient Israel that in Malachi 3 verse 8, though He desired to give unto them the blessings that they had wished for and the blessings of heaven, that He had withheld them. He had held them back. Today, you and I can't accept all of the blessings of God at one time. We need to appreciate that He meets them out as you and I need them. He will bless us with them in His time. When Jesus did arrive at the house of Jairus, might we appreciate that He did fulfill Jairus' request. But for the time being, what about this need of patience? How often do we read in the New Testament about the command to be patient? It seems so often that it was clearly a message from God that we must never forsake or forget. Maybe we can recall that scene in which patience is taught by James in James 1 verses 4 and 5. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If you and I are to be complete, those which desire nothing, we then need to have patience. We need to have that degree within us of a sense of contentment and a recognition of patience as God is so bountifully able to give. It may well be that one of the most poetic verses in all the Bible on this subject is housed near the middle portion of the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 40, verse 31, the very last verse in that chapter, but they that wait on the Lord shall mount up with his eagles, and furthermore they shall walk and not faint. They shall run and not be weary. 
the very thought then that those who wait on the Lord will find their strength. They will have the sustenance that they need for God shall see to it. Jairus learned that lesson perhaps after the fact because when he arrived at his own house, we on that occasion remember the final scene and the last lesson that you and I will consider this morning. Hope is never misplaced in Jesus. Though Jairus by that point had gotten word that it was too late, though from the perspective of men all hope was gone and lost, Jesus said, Jairus, don't be afraid. Only believe. We don't know how much time elapsed from when Jesus made that statement until they arrived at Jairus' house. But along the way, the sadness that filled Jairus' heart must have been at least somewhat tempered by what Jesus said. Jairus, only believe. And when they got there and heard the tumult and all the crying and the wailing, Jesus said, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. And then in his very eyesight to watch Jesus take her hand and to raise her from the dead. What great gift she was given. What great gift he was given. And as Jesus then understood, and as Jairus had placed that hope in him, what about us today? Hope is never misplaced in the Lord. Hope is never misplaced in Jesus. Despite the hardships that we may face, the trials that may come our way, hope is never misplaced in Jesus. No wonder often we're urged to trust in Him. No matter what men may tell us, no matter what the appearance may be, to trust in Him. For indeed, as hope is never misplaced in Him, reflect on some of the promises then that Jesus did make. Some of the things not only to this family, but even to you and me as well. What was it he spoke to Zacchaeus, that shortened gentleman who climbed that sycamore tree just to see him in Luke 19? Jesus said unto Zacchaeus, Come down. Son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19.10 And today I must abide at thy house. Zacchaeus experienced far more than he could ever have wished. He only wanted to see the Savior and yet Jesus came to his house. You and I perhaps may never fully understand all that God has in store for us. We do know that hope in Him is never misplaced. But may we in confident trustworthiness follow always His pathways and in response He will bless us tremendously and momentously with the things of this life. In fact, not only this life, but what about the one afterward? No wonder in John 6, beginning in verse 63, we might well recall that on this occasion the Lord had preached a very difficult sermon. In fact, so hard was it that many who were in the audience turned and walked no more with him, the text says. In the aftermath of that, he though asked the apostles, Will ye also go away? And Peter, in his bold and aggressive way, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Peter knew very well, at least mentally on that occasion, where eternal life was found and where the hope must be placed in order to achieve it. Today, that hasn't changed at all, has it? On this season in which so many today and tomorrow will celebrate the birth of Jesus, may we understand the greatest gifts are not those that come from celebration of His birth, but from recognition and obedience to the affairs of His death. Isn't that interesting? For you see, it was in his life and ultimately in culminating in his death that he purchased for the human family the right to eternal life. 
He purchased for the human family the right of justification and being right with God. Today, then, in terms of these observations and blessings, realize the following things with me, if you would, in summary. Could we not say the difficulties are going to come in life? Of that fact, we can be certain. But Jesus has promised to those that will walk with Him, He will be with them, and He will offer genuine hope. Furthermore, that demands that you and I respond with patience and understand indeed completely and fully that hope is never misplaced in Him. Are you a Christian today, dear friend? Have you placed your hope in the Savior, or are you trying to go it alone? Understand that you and I cannot row our ship through life alone and expect to cross the Jordan River of death successfully. It just won't happen. For Jesus said He needs to be with us, and we need Him with us. So many uncertainties and discrepancies in life, so many things that cause us to worry and wonder, and yet all the while we know there's genuine hope in the Savior, and that hope is never misplaced. I mentioned a moment ago that the very fact of His death was by which He purchased for us a means of union with God, fellowship ultimately and fully with Him. But of course, that can't come if we're in sin. If you're still in sin today, having never had them washed away by association with Christ's blood and baptism, let today, the 24th of December, 2006, become your spiritual birthday. You can be born again in just a few minutes. Not as though you're born physically from your mother's womb. Nicodemus was confused about that. But rather, as Jesus said, born of water and of the Spirit, John 3, verse 5. That can be done in a matter of moments. As we assist you simply burying that old man of sin so that you can rise to a new creature in Christ. If you've done that, though, and you knew how good it was, you knew what it was like to taste the goodness of God, Hebrews 6, verse 4. Understand, you can come back to that first love if you've wandered away. Jesus' arms are still open wide. The thoughts of God are in your behalf, but the issue is now yours. You must take the next step. Come back to Him in love. We'd be honored and happy to pray on your behalf for your forgiveness. And is all that is something for you and me to think about. This is a convenient time for response. Brother Harold has chosen him of encouragement. If we could be of assist to anyone, let us know that. Even now, while together we stand and while we sing.